you've won games here as a player and as a manager. Where does this performance in victory? The best, you know, the best under the circumstances with all the hype going into the game and people writing us off and it's going to be the, everybody else's year bar ours and the board are rubbish, the manager's rubbish, the players are rubbish. Well, we can put that right today. Yes, we are back. The Grand Old Podcast return after about a month or six weeks off to record episode number 71. You may remember, if you think all the way back to the, the weary months of June and July, you may remember this voice. It's Hamish Carton. Glad to be of service. No Paul Fisher tonight, no. sadly. Um, he's still bowling. The longest bowling season <laughs> ever known to man. It started in about late March and it's still somehow rumbling on into autumn slash winter. But I do have the beast from the east, John McGinley. Yes, um, I'm glad to be back, even without Paul. Lots going on since we last spoke on the podcast. Seemed to be like a uh, every two month state of the nation kind of podcast we're doing these days just simply because <laughs> of all the goings on at the moment yeah Celtic fans have developed a new surname in the time we listed a podcast have you been <laughs> subscribing that? to the ball and goalie loving oh yeah no I, I've seen a bit of that I've seen I've noticed it and I appreciate it but I've not been partaking myself you know I, I was obviously a wee bit nervous coming back tonight we want the yeah. the public to love us and I was thinking my intro and I was wondering did I slip a wee balling goalie reference in there and I was thinking <laughs> to introduce you as John Balling Goalie McGinley decided against it um, but we'll go with it anyway well, the thing about Balling Goalie is it's kind of him as a person kind of encapsulates the complete turnaround in opinion over the last four weeks he's gone from being one of the most reviled and um, worrisome players in the Celtic team to someone who is lauded by the support. A cult hero, dare I say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, if you're listening, really do appreciate you um, sticking with us. Uh, probably got a wee surprise this morning or this afternoon whenever you opened your podcast app and saw at the top, Grand Old Podcast episode number 71 and whatever wonderful title John decides to give it. Um <laughs> We're back, basically. Um, mm-hmm. We've been off for a wee while. I think I speak for all of us when I say we've all been pretty busy with various things. I know yeah. you started a new job, John. Uh-huh. Um, I've been incredibly busy, um, mainly drinking, but I've been doing other things as well. Oh. Paul Fisher, as we already covered, has been playing a lot of bowls, um, and I think he's had a, a few things on at work as well. So I think that's he's the manager the kind of, of that bowls team now. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to have liked himself to Neil Lennon. I keep getting updates where he seems to... <laughs> have forced himself as Ayrshire's Neil Lennon when it comes to bowling, so God knows what's going on down there. Like you say, I've had a new job. It's it's weird when you start a new job, you know, you've got all sorts of stuff that goes along with it. You want to do well, you want to basically think about that all the time outside of, you know, inside working hours and outside of it, you're just like chilling. There's sometimes when you start a new job, there's a bit of anxiety with it and everything. So mm-hmm. it's just been a case of not really wanting to, talk about Celtic outside of my job um, because it's just um, gets all a bit too much but I'm back now I'm feeling good um, so we'll see what happens yes we'll see how this episode goes we'll make no promises for the future um, but what we do promise to hopefully deliver you over the next hour or so is some well-informed football chat hopefully surrounding Celtic as well 
Um, there's been ambitious. so much. Yeah, I know. I know. We'll see what, <laughs> see what happens where we are in 40 minutes' time. Uh, so much to chat about. We're, we're going to look at the start to the season. We may even mention a certain victory we had last weekend at Ibrooks. I'm sure yeah. that will come up in the conversation at some stage. So. We'll also touch uh, a bit in the European stuff. Obviously, um, disappointment probably about a month ago now. Um, we'll mm-hmm. probably spend more time looking forward to what to expect from our uh, very interesting looking Europa League group. And yeah. uh, we're also going to touch on probably the biggest issue the transfer market and how we think Celtic are placed, whether we're stronger, better than we were. Uh, well, the last time we did a podcast, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so should be good. I've got a few cans in front of me, three to be precise. Um, so oh, you nice. may hear three distinct. Clatters throughout the podcast of me wrestling to open a can. <laughs> Very good. The fridge is lined. It's got a few more down there, and I'm going to be up for a, a few cans tonight. So good. the chat, the chat may get wilder and wilder as we get on. I may make some uh, gruesome predictions come the end of the podcast. Oh, um, that's right. coming to yeah. something I can something I can nail you for later, Hamish. That's it, and I can just uh, blame the influence of alcohol at a later date. <laughs> Right, John, ball's in your court. Where okay. do you want to start? What well, What I is on your mind? What's on my mind all week has been, I think, chiefly the result of Ibrox. Because I do you think, see it coming? Um, frankly, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't dreading Ibrox, like some people were, who may be also on the podcast. Um, but... I mean, I, I thought it was going to be a closely fought, contested game. I didn't think it would be as comfortable as it was, to, to be honest. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I predicted Celtic to go there and basically body Rangers in every position on the pitch. I didn't expect that at all. I thought it was going to be a more open game than it was, and I think it's a credit to Neil Lennon that he managed to go against that convention. So uh, the first thing I like to talk about is just the way Neil Lennon masterminded that result really because I think the entire performance was almost solely obviously the players obviously performed but I feel like Neil Lennon's fingerprints were all over that performance and I think that was perhaps the most surprising thing about it and in the wake of collusion stuff I think that should be the main talking point because a lot of people were ready to kick him down the street and now you know we're looking pretty good and he was he was right he was right in the wake of collusion it does seem like it was a freak result yeah, our only defeat so far um, this season. Mm-hmm. Or in fact, we've only not won two matches, if if you don't include the Dunfermline one, and they were both against Cluj. So I suppose in that aspect, um, yeah, you can look at that tie against Cluj as you know the exception to what we've seen so far this season. Mm-hmm. Do you then think that the overreaction from the Cluj match that, let's be mm-hmm. honest, probably drifted all the way up until the Ibrooks game, do you think that was over the top? It's difficult, Amish. I mean, I'm not sure how you feel about it, but I felt like the way I felt about Celtic in the wake of that match was fully justified because I thought we were a shambles and I thought that the team and the manager had to carry a can for that. Peter Lawwell had to carry a can for it yeah. for the way we were all prepared. To be honest, nobody was... escaped that game, did they? No, nobody escaped that game. To, to be honest, Amish, that game still sticks in my craw a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm not really ready to forget it as easily as perhaps some other people are. That was always a worry because there was so much chat and, and let's be honest, everywhere you looked on, on Celtic Twitter or other Celtic podcasts, the forums, there was a real anger there after the Cluj defeat and, you know, if you're if you're apportioning the blame and, and, you know, setting out in a nice pie chart, you're probably getting maybe 
50% going to the board. Neil Lennon certainly didn't escape criticism, and rightly so, for some of the mistakes he made. The obvious one, you know, um, McGregor playing left-back, not playing your £7 million centre-back signing, not playing your yeah. £3 million left-back signing. Um, the board certainly came in, as I say, for probably the majority of the um, criticism for the fact that we hadn't done the majority of our business uh, at that stage. I mean, we made 10 signings, including some of the youngsters over the course of the summer. It was mm-hmm. probably, at that close game, probably three or four at that stage. So the majority of our signings came, let's be honest, too little too late in terms of the Champions League. And finally, there was a blame for the players because... You know, the likes of Scott Brown and Scott Bain, who probably got most of the criticism for some of the mistakes they made, they weren't the only ones that night, but it was a a really, really frustrating night. And I think the most frustrating aspect of it is that, A, you kind of felt it was coming. You weren't Mm -hmm. totally surprised. And also the fact that it's happened so often in recent years. I mean, you can name Malmo, um, you can name Maribor, you can mm-hmm. name Legia Warsaw. I know we got through that tie, but we lost on the pitch. Um, and who was the one last year? AK Athens. Now, those are four teams that, in my opinion, Celtic should be seeing off. Um, you could probably forgive us one or two defeats over that six or seven year period, but not making the Champions League group stage and going out to smaller teams in four of the six years yeah. is simply not good enough. And no one escapes that. The, the thing about it is, I think that... I've kind of contradicted myself with what I said there before in terms of Neil Lennon was right, there was a blip. Uh, also, that the, the reaction wasn't an overreaction. But I don't think they're as contradictory as they seem. I think, you know, football's an emotional game. Celtic supporters are emotional. Every fan of every team is emotional. I think a reaction to a result like that is fully justified in the context of what happened in that match and the fact that we were completely ill-prepared for the challenge of the qualifiers this season. And I think that coming along a couple of weeks later, us coming along a couple of weeks later and looking in hindsight and going, oh, those fans were bellers for saying this about Neil Lennon would be disingenuous of us because we were all saying the same thing at the same time. We just weren't doing the podcast at that time. So the reaction wasn't an overreaction, I don't think. But at the same time, Neil Lennon's well within his rights to feel like he had it, he had what he wanted to, he has what he wants to achieve this season under control still. I think there was a, Perhaps there was a narrative at the time that we were out spinning out of control, and I think that was perhaps a little bit, a little bit harsh on the team and the, and the club. I don't think we were spinning out of control to the point where our entire season was going to go up the chimney, but I think that the result was still a shocker, and so they deserved the criticism for that. But Neil Lennon is right in the sense of he's sticking to his plans and sticking his guns, and he didn't change too much in the wake of that close game. He started picking his best players in his best positions and we've started playing well again. And, th- th- and that's that's the thing for me. So the two things kind of, they do chime with each other, even though it seems like such a massive 180 from what happened in the wake of that game to what's happened in the wake of the Ibrox result. Just bringing it back to Ibrox, Hamish, how did you feel going into the match and how did you feel coming out of it? Going into the game, um, yeah, I feared the worst. I don't know how much of it was me believing the the hype of the Rangers team. I wasn't just believing words that were being said though because I've seen Rangers in action a lot of times this season. I've seen uh, certainly the the two legs they played against the Danish team, uh, Mitchelland. I've seen, Mm -hmm. I think, every league game, including the Hibs game at home when they were really good. 
But going into that game at Ibrox, I think my fears were more about what we would be like rather than them. Um, I certainly, mm-hmm. I certainly did not see that that defensive masterclass coming with, with that back four that had uh, well, other than near beat on had never or sorry hadn't played at Celtic two months ago, and you know the back four that finished the game none of them had played at Celtic two months ago, so it was a remarkable feat to keep a clean sheet. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't see that coming. I thought it was a stick on that Rangers would score at least one in the game. Um, I thought we would score at least one as well because we just have too much firepower and I want to touch on that later on. But yeah, I felt like a draw was probably the best we could hope for Um, and I just think that was down to where we were. I just felt as if the game at Ibrox would come too early for us because, you know, as I say, the amount of new players are trying to bed into that team. Um, Mm -hmm. Julian only has, I think, four or five games under his belt going into that game. Ball and goalie, probably a couple more. Um, El Hamid's got about four or five so you know you're really bedding in a team near Beaton at centre half it was a real makeshift team when you look at it Fraser Forster back for the second game but I think the way they, they played pretty much from kick-off um, well documented start of the game Edward first touch puts out into the corner there's probably a few jeers coming from people at home watching the game certainly people in the home end at Ibrooks probably laughing a little bit at that but in hindsight, it was a stroke of genius because, you know, it, it put Rangers on the back foot straight away and it, it set out a message to to them um, and to everyone else that we weren't going to play in the same way we had in the previous two games. Because if you look at the previous two games and you take the May game, for example, mm-hmm. I think Rangers Ranger score after 90 seconds or something like that, the Tavernier free kick. And the actual free kick comes from Celtic. I can't remember who it was. It was maybe Lustig or Ayer or someone like that, Dilly Dallying. And it was just the complete wrong message you wanted to send. And I felt like the game last Sunday, Celtic sent the opposite message. And right from the first minute, they were they were really up for their battles. And they just get better and better as the game went on. The defence was excellent. And, you know, it's a strange one when I look at the game because everyone comes away with pass marks and it was a terrific result. But you actually look at the attackers and other than Edward, you know, Forrest was pretty quiet in the game when you look at it. Christie was, wasn't was quiet, but he got about and he put a shift in. But in terms of attacking efforts and stuff like that, I can only think of a shot he had after a couple of minutes. Johnston, fair enough, he sets up Edward's goal with a really good pass. But again, mm-hmm. not a not a you know a, a swashbuckling attacking performance from them. But the moments of quality were there when they wanted it. But the game that and the result for me was built on the defence and that's the real positive I take from it because I just didn't think we could play like that. From the games we've seen so far this season, the Motherwell victory matches like that, it's been, you know, the attacking that's won as a game. For me on Sunday, it was the defence. Well, that's Lennon though. I mean, Lennon, the only thing Lennon cares about heading into these derby matches is Celtic winning 1-0, you know? Like, and that, that was never the case under Brendan Rodgers and it did result in some magical days where we absolutely humped them. But, that we'll never forget, and we'll never forget those days. But we can't compare those days to now because I think that Lennon's just come into the the club and he's coming with the um, without any ego whatsoever and said the only thing that matters is that we beat Rangers hmm. or draw against Rangers at Ibrox, and he doesn't he he set the team up in a different way that was not about you know trying to get you know trying to produced the most dazzling Celtic display that anyone's ever seen at Ibrox, set out the team to win the match. And I think that it's a credit to Lennon that he's able to do that and change his tactics to do that. 
And I think that he deserves credit for that because we've been, over the last few years, for years and years and years, we've been very, very one-note tactically in terms of it's always been about putting ourselves on the front foot in an attacking sense and kind of forgetting the defensive side of the game. To a lot of people's frustration, obviously we want to play good football, but you can't completely abandon any any chance of defending at the back. And so for Lennon to go to Ibrox and put that first and foremost, I thought was a pleasing sign of progression in the sense that we've got more versatility now because we know we can play in that swashbuckling way in a game when that suits us to do that. But we can't do that in every match. Mm-hmm. When we go away to Ibrox, Rangers have strengthened since last season. When we go away in Europe, you know, when we play a better European sides against us at Celtic Park, we need to be able to win a game dirty and win a game with the dark arts. And I think Lennon is the manager to do that. And I think that that's a real positive from from his kind of initial spell in charge here at the start of the season. And there's probably an argument that we haven't seen that, you know, that kind of rugged defensive performance in a good number of years at Celtic, because as you say, under Rodgers, even when you went away to Barcelona and PSG and these top teams in Europe, mm-hmm. he, he just, he, he refused to, you know, he saw it almost as admitting defeat by by setting up that way. And Celtic weren't defensive, like we weren't, no defensive when we went to Ibrooks, but we were, you know, we defended first and foremost, and then you always know with the quality we've got in forward for, going forward. If it's not going to be Christie, it's going to be Forrest or Johnson or Edward or Griffiths or someone like that coming off the bench. We're always going to create a chance in a game, and we actually created a fair few. You probably look at the game at Ibrooks and clear cut chances, probably only three or four, but Rangers created nothing, and, I mean, and we we're always going to win that game. People- a lot of people have been saying in the wake of the game about how bad Rangers were, but I think you need to credit Celtic here as well in the sense that we went there with a very specific game plan in mind, and it was, you know, it was to shut down Rangers on the flank, specifically their right flank, and it was to build the game down our left so that Tavernier wasn't their outlet because he's constantly their outlet from defence, and you know, Flanagan was never going to be a player who was going to be getting forward, so we. I mean, Forrest was kept quiet and marked well, but he wasn't a player that was ever going to problem, cause us problems down that left side. So we focused down the left, we shut down Tavernier, and, and, and then we, you know, that's where we got into the match, on that left side in the first half specifically. And I think that once we did that, Rangers had nowhere to go. A lot of people were saying that Rangers were very narrow and that was a failing of Gerrard's tactics, but I think we forced them into those areas. And I think that's a credit to us and the way we played and the game plan that Lennon put in action. And it's, like I say, it's pleasing to see the team manage to go and all of their game plan from what we see on a week-to-week basis, because I think that's what we need in some of these big matches. Um, So, yeah, I'm very, very happy with Ibrox result, and I think that we're looking in very strong shape again domestically. And I think that it's going to take some stopping us to, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I mean, I would even say you know, I would bet, I would rather bet on us to win the treble than bet against us. Yeah, I feel that way too. I feel supremely confident about this team because, quite simply, I think we're going to outscore any team we play, even if we're on an off day. And I've probably not felt that way, or, or I probably had the similar feeling in the Invincible season. And I'm not for one minute <laughs> put words in my mouth saying we're going to go uh, this season unbeaten. You've but... been speaking to Kenny Dalglish because he's saying that as well. <laughs> Really, he was saying that he didn't really see a team that could beat us, and he could only see us, you know, drawing one or two more games for the rest of the league season or something mad. 
Uh, um, not a chance. We'll, we'll lose. But that, that's that's his ghostwritten Sunday Post column, so I wouldn't read too much into that. Yeah, but I mean, I have that same feeling of even the feeling I had in the Invincible season. Even if we have an off day and we're struggling a little bit, we could still score a few goals and batter a team. I mean, you look at the the Motherwell game a few weeks ago at Fir Park. Probably looking at the team, a pretty average performance in many ways. You know, a tough away ground, a team who were rightly tipped at the start of the season, and, and since that game, I've actually got a few good results together. Tough away ground, struggling, lost the first goal. Really, for the first you know half of the game, half an hour, we, we weren't playing well at all. But we still won that game five two, just because of the firepower and just the the fact that we have those players that can just. You know, open up a space, or like Ryan Christie's done so often, can batter one in from distance, and it's just a, a brilliant, brilliant, you know, thing to have in your team. You look at the league season so far; four games we've played, seventeen goals we've scored. Seven games in last season, we'd only netted seven. Oh. So that just puts it in context in terms of the fact goals are coming from everywhere. They're not just coming for the forwards, as was perhaps the case at sometimes over the past couple of seasons. We're relying yeah. on the likes of. Edward and Griffiths prior to that and Dembele as well. This year there's goals coming from everywhere. Well, Christie has eight, does he? Christie has eight yeah, season. It, it's That's remarkable. Mental. And I look at any game now, any away game, even a team like, you know, Hibs or Hearts, if we go there and we suffer an early goal and go behind. And even if we're not playing great, I have belief that we've got the quality in that team that, as I say, even if we're on a bit of an off day, someone will put one in for 30 yards or someone will play that killer pass or Edward will do something magical and we'll end up winning 2-1 and I've not had that feeling since the Invincible season and I'm just I don't want, I don't want to sound like I've done a full 180 since the, <laughs> the Rangers game because I was really negative before that I'll be honest but now I'm looking at it <laughs> so so positively I just think this Celtic well, team is going to go crazy this there's year There's a question down here for us that's been put to us in the sheet um, prior to recording the podcast and We've been dancing around the matches here because it's been so long since we recorded our last one. But to bring a bit of focus to this early discussion, a question for both of us. Would you have taken this start to the season before a ball was kicked, top of the league by three points, in the Europa League group stage and through to the League Cup quarterfinals? Would you have taken that before a ball was kicked in July? Probably would have, yeah. I think if I look at it. At the start of the season, I... If I was giving you a percentage chance of us making the group stage of the Champions League, I'd probably be about 40%. I just really? didn't feel with wow. all the upheaval at the club and the fact we had a new manager in, and I know he's a manager who is well accustomed to the Champions route, and I know prior to this season, I think he'd had two or three successful years at it and, and never failed prior to this year. But I just felt with the, the fact we have to play four qualifiers now, it's crazy. Eight weeks, eight games in eight weeks, the fact we had Sarajevo in the first round and then an easier one against Nom Kalyu, um, we should obviously have beaten Cluj, but even if you get through the Cluj tie, and I think it's a fact some folk have perhaps overlooked, I would not have fancied us to beat Slavia Prague. I really wouldn't in the state we were in. I think Slavia mm. Prague would have seen us off pretty comfortably. Um, so that bit was disappointing. See, I, but think I think this, this is this is maybe where we disagree on all this, because I feel... I feel like we should have qualified for the group. I always feel like we should qualify for the group stages of the, comp of the Champions League because we're by far one of the wealthiest teams in the process. We're mm -hmm. always one of the top seeds in the process. Like you met, like you laid out earlier, Hamish, the teams who have beaten us over the last few years on the, in this process, none of them have been good enough to, you know, to stake a claim as saying they're a better and bigger club than Celtic. So 
just it's just a strange one because I I would not take the start of the season before it kicked off. That's interesting. Yeah, I just I, feel like the the Champions League. I mean, I, I I know in the context of the last few weeks, there's been a big turnaround in the overall opinion of Celtic, but you're listing off results from the last six years that have had a lasting impact on Celtic. The clues result is one that will have a lasting impact on Celtic. It deviates us away from our ambitions and what we want to do and the players that we want to sign and the improvements we want to make off the pitch and everything that comes with the financial doors that the Champions League group stage opens. I looked at the Europa League group stage money money offerings last last week and it obvious, as you, it's obvious that they, they're completely eclipsed by the group stage, but just in terms of prize money, I mean, we're, there's only like five million up for grabs in terms of mm-hmm. prize money in the group stage, and it's not an awful lot of money. And you only get a million if you qualify for round of 32. And you get your attendance money, and you get a bit of share from the TV money, and there's a new coefficient sharing out with the money. But when you compare the Europa League money to the Champions League money, it's like a different world. And we need to, we're good enough and big enough and competent enough when we've got our shit together and we plan effectively ahead to be in that different world financially. Because we're never going to get there in Scottish football. We need to do it in European football. The process that you've laid out is, it is very difficult. Four matches, eight legs and all this. But it's actually designed for clubs like Celtic to reach the grip stage. It's designed for us as a bigger team in the process to get there. We've never been the underdogs in that process. The only reason that we have to qualify for four stages is because Scottish football has been so messed up over the last decade. The Rangers were away for ages, completely melted down, liquidation and all that. Completely screwed up Europe. The other teams aren't good enough to catch up. And so when they start to get their act together by qualifying for the Europa League group stage, we'll have less qualifiers and stuff. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's a process that's designed to help us and yet we've still managed to fuck it up for the last six seasons. So... It sounds like I'm raging here, and I, it's like it's, it's difficult for me because right now, in terms of the team, I'm quite happy. But in the overall narrative, the overall look at Celtic as a club right now is that we should not have let that opportunity to qualify for the group stages of the Champions League slip away again. And it's going to stick in my neck for the next year until we go through the process again. I don't disagree with anything you said. I think a club like us, Celtic, we should definitely be qualifying for the Champions League. Um, my answer to the question was, did I think we would, and and I simply didn't. I, I just I just didn't think we would. Just looking mm-hmm. at the the new signings we had, then as I say, the fact we had a new manager, yeah, that's the fact enough. that it is a challenge playing those eight games. As I say, I do agree with you. I think we should be, but did I think we would? I didn't know. I, I just thought they would come unstuck against against some opposition. And as I say, I wasn't totally surprised when when Cluj put us out because I had a feeling that. We were due a shocking result just from we'd made a we'd made a good start to the season looking at it, the, the victory over Sarajevo and Nomikalu and the league games as well. But I just felt that defence was there to be got at and I don't think it was a, a massive surprise for a lot of people when we conceded four goals. But the fact that we've we've got through the Europa League tie is I think that reflects quite well on Lennon and the, the squad, the fact they were able to get themselves back up for that because Let's be honest, that was no gimme. That was probably the toughest game we could have got at that stage of Europa League against the Swedish champions. I mean, the champions of Sweden, that, that's not like a, you know, that's a step up from a Sarajevo or a Nomikalju. And they're probably, 
a similar level to Cluj. So th there was some people looking prior to that tie and, and thinking that there was a possibility of us having no European football. So yeah. we've gone into that. Um, we're through into the Europa League. We'll probably touch on that now unless you've got anything else to add on the kind of start to the season front. No, that was it really. It was just kind of summing up. I mean, in general, I feel like we're in a good place with Lennon and the team. I think structurally there's problems at Celtic and... I mean, the, the, we'll get on to a little bit later, but I feel like in general the club have recruited well towards the, the end of the window. So but there's it came not, too late. Yeah, recruited too late, but recruited pretty well. And so it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think um, in terms of the team, I'm happy. And so we should maybe focus on that a bit. And I think that's the most important thing for this upcoming Europa League group stage because I'm looking at the teams that were drawn and I'm thinking... You know, we're not going to win 18 points in this group, but I think we can hold our own. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, well, you've outlined all the, the cons of the Europa League financially, um, reputation-wise. One massive positive in it, it's something as, you know, a football fan and, and nothing else that I love about the Europa League is just this, the competition element and the fact that... Diversity. The, the big, yeah, yeah, the biggest team in the group, Lazio, I, I would not count as out of beating them at home and... That's something that, that doesn't go for the Champions League. and Excuse me. Um, Lazio's still a, a very glamorous tie and Parkhead will be rocking rockin when they come to town. But it's as I say, it's not a team that I... It's a team I would respect, but it's not a team that I think will touch wood will put three or four passes like you oh. know other Italian teams in the Champions League. The way, would, so. the way I look at that, I mean, is it, are any of these three teams better than Salzburg or Leipzig? Well, that's a good way of looking at it because if you're comparing it to last year's group, you you probably say last year's is a little bit stronger. Um, Salzburg yeah. were certainly a good team, and everyone mm -hmm. writes off Leipzig and they say, oh, they finished third behind Celtic, but that's a team that I think went on to finish second or third in the Bundesliga and are in the Champions League this season. Yeah. So they clearly a weren't team. a bad team. No. Um, the thing about them was that they probably they probably admit it themselves that they had you know the majority of the, the eggs in their basket were the Bundesliga and the the Europa League was almost an afterthought. And it'll be interesting to see if the same goes for either Lazio or Rennes this year. Because um, mm, they're, they're both started off pretty well in their domestic leagues after having kind of mid-table seasons last year. So it'll be interesting to see if that goes anywhere this year. Um, yeah, kind of first thoughts on the group, John, when it, when it first came out, what were you thinking? Well, I was... I was quite happy with the draw in the sense that I felt like it could have been a lot worse and I was happy to get Cluj because I think that I think that could be a motivating factor for the team in general is to go and basically try and beat Cluj in both matches and prove a point. And I think that having that motivation, that personal stake in, in those games is good for the team. I think that we had an edge to our game in those matches and obviously as long as we don't succumb to emotion and let it get the better of us, I think that's something that Celtic could thrive on in those nights in particular. I think we we should definitely be looking to to win those two games. Yeah, a, a guard against this opinion on it seems to be forming, and maybe I've misinterpreted, but there seems to be a little bit of an opinion forming that six points is almost a gimme because closure crap. We did still lose them in the Champions yeah. League, so so they'll be looking at us when the draw came <laughs> yeah. out as a second pot team and thinking, God, we beat that team and they're yeah, a second pot true. team. 
mm-hmm. we fancy that. Um, personally, I didn't think they were anything special, but they are a, a pretty well-organised European side with a, a decent manager. Um, he talks a load of shite, but he has a decent manager. <laughs> he does and he, talk he's... some amount of nonsense, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, but he sets geez. his team up well. Um, prior to beating us, they beat Astana and Maccabi Tel Aviv, so it wasn't a fluke beating us. Those are, those are two, you know mid-ranking European teams probably slightly below ourselves that they beat as well so they've clearly got something about them um, they're probably slightly better than Rosenberg who were the bottom team we had last year and we still we won both games against Rosenberg but they were both a struggle especially the one at, at Celtic Park so I wouldn't for, for one minute have six points written next to our name already I think we'll need to work from both games and you know four points may not be the absolute worst thing the great thing is that we can play them at home second game it is um, certainly would hope we could win that one if we can't there's something wrong there and then the final game hopefully when they're playing for nothing and already out of the group um, almost similar to Rosenberg last year uh, albeit that was the second last game that's the kind of makeup of the group that I think looks really enticing for us so the ideal scenario for me would be would be taking six points against them if you offered me four right now wouldn't yeah. be too bad I don't think no, that would put us in a good yeah. um Good footing for the group. They've, I've got a few uh, facts okay. on Lazio. Okay. Not in terms of um, players or managers or anything like that. Just a bit of uh, digging I've been doing in terms of their Europa League record over recent years. But how they're fascists, no? Don't comment on anything like that. Are they? Are they is Paolo Di Canio one of theirs? Yeah, I think so. God. I think that was the club that you did all that. Mm. Well, just an interesting fact. Do, do you know the average? I think their stadiums are sixty or seventy thousand. All seated. It's the Stadio Olimpico in Rome, and they average about fifteen thousand in the Europa League. Bloody hell! And that's with you know pretty big away supports a lot of the time. Like Frankfurt, I think took five thousand there last year, and there was I think only nineteen thousand in the stadium. So it's going to be a kind of eerie atmosphere when we go there on yeah. match day four. I think it is. Um, be, be a bit like that Udinese game. Remember Neil Lennon's yeah. first. Um, but I mean, it's probably a good comparison. You had Ren in that group as well. Yeah, it's a good comparison because Udinese were probably at a similar level to, to Lazio at that stage. They were one of the top teams. They had a lot of good players. Remember, was it Di Natale, the boy they had mm-hmm. up top that was an Italy international? But mm-hmm. they just, I know we drew with them twice, but we really should have beaten them both times. And again, I think that just came down to the Europa League, maybe not meaning that too much to, to the Italian team or whatever in that stage. However... Uh, some of the stats I've been doing on Lazio or, or mm-hmm. the, the fact-checking. This is their third season um, in the Europa League groups in a row. It's their seventh time they've played in it in nine seasons. So they are probably a, as pretty regular a team as you could get in this competition. They've not played in the Champions League in those nine seasons. They've all been in the Europa League. Um, so that this past six seasons, since 2011, they've finished first in their group three times and second the other three times. So they've qualified from their group to the last 32 all six times. They've averaged 11.5 points, which is uh, pretty impressive. The minimum mm. points they've got, I think they get nine on a couple of occasions and the rest have been 10, 11, 12, 13, that kind of thing. So they really um, they do have a knack of getting points in the group stage. Um, however, they have lost six of their last nine away matches in the tournament, including the likes of the Belgian team, Zult Vargem, Stoua Bucharest and... Apollon Limassol also beat them, I think, a couple of seasons ago. So, you know, they are there to be got at away from home. Um, their away record in Serie A last year was sixth best in the league. They won eighth, drew three and, and lost eight. So a pretty average record there. 
but they are there to be got at. However, that first bit I read out, they've you know they've qualified all six times, have been in the group stage, and three of them won in the group, and three of them second, and, and averaged eleven point five points. That suggests that they take it pretty seriously. And let's be honest, if they've qualified all the last six years, yeah. chances are they will this year as well. The interesting thing for me about Lazio and Ren, and I don't know if you know this, if, I don't know if you think this will factor into it is that they are both their national cup winners. So they you know, they know how to win in one-off matches. I, d- I don't know if that's a, a sign that they've got perhaps a, a mentality that could be damaging to us. I know we're the cup winners too. Mm. I'm not sure about Cluj, actually. It could be a, a cup winners' cup if it had group all round. I know they're the champions of the league, obviously, and came in for yeah. the Champions League. But it's interesting that the all four teams in this group have won something last season, and that can't be said for probably every other group in Europe this season, Champions League and and yeah. Europa League. I don't know if you'll find another group where all four of the teams won silverware last season. So that, that kind of thing is interesting to me, that the fact that I know they, were, they both finished mid-season um, last year. Yeah, 8th and 10th, I think. Uh, but there are both Ren cup winners, and, and it's, that, that's an interesting factor here, and yeah. I, I don't know if that will play out. But I think you're right, I think we... We can beat them at Celtic Park and I think that last year against Leipzig showed that on our night we are capable of turning up and beating good teams from around Europe again and I think that it's up to Lennon and the, and, and the team to you know just basically turn up you know I don't think we're I don't think there are any nasty surprises for us in this group I think mm-hmm. um, they're all teams we obviously know Cluj very well and I know that we'll will know a lot about um, Lazio and Ren just for the, for the fact that they're both in top five leagues and you know the data and the footage available will be top class. So um, I'm I'm feeling quite positive that we they're all known quantities and I think that suits us here. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to the group as you say. I don't think there is a great deal that's going to surprise us. Um, just to finish off, Ren last year they came through their group with nine points, the same as us. Pretty weak looking group, if I'm honest. Astana, Dinamo Kiev, and the Czech team Jablonec. Um So not the best of groups there, and they could only get nine points in that. However, they did get past Sevilla, um, or was it Real Betis? It was one of the two. I should probably research that. It was one of the Spanish teams, um, and then they went out to Arsenal um, in the last sixteen. So they got around further than us last year. I just get the impression, just from looking at Lazio and their recent record, that they will qualify from the group. I don't think Cluj will. I think they'll be the bottom team, and I think it'll be a mm-hmm. fight between ourselves and Ren. And if I'm honest, I think Ren are the kind of team that we should be competing with. I mean, I know they've started the League One season well, and they have a lot of exciting young players, and they've spent a bit of money this summer as well, but... I just think that's the kind of European team that we should be aspiring to compete with and, and they don't particularly fill me with fear if we're going over there. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past us to get a draw over there and then and then take them um, to task when they come to Glasgow. So I think four points against them is achievable and if we can do that, um, it, it should put us in good stead to, to qualify from the group. So I'm just looking forward to, to getting it started. I think Parkhead should be packed for all three home games. I think the away games will all be pretty different. We, we know what we're getting with... Uh, Cluj, we know well, Lennon and a couple of the, the longer term players will know what they're getting in Ren, and so will Christopher Julian um, and Edward as well. So I think that's quite important that a lot of them will know what that kind of atmosphere will be like. And then there'll be this total, you know, basket case of an atmosphere in, in Rome that's just going to be totally bizarre. <laughs> I mean, a, a stadium that's 
what about a fifth fool? That that must yeah, be totally bizarre be to weird. play in. Um, however, it doesn't look like that affects Lazio. Um, looking from previous years, so I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, I've not gone too deep into Ren, but I know they've got the the sixteen year old guy. Was it Kamavinga? I think yeah, his name he's meant is. to be pretty special. But you you know that the interesting thing about that is is and just in Ren in particular is, I mean, like I say, I've not gone too deep, so I don't know how talented some of the other young players are, but. I can't imagine any of them will be more um, exciting young prospects than, you know, Odson Edward. I mean, a team like Ren would be killing for a player like Odson Edward, I would imagine. You know, he's doing he's doing bits for the French under-21s now. Mm-hmm. He's looking imperious with us. He's growing all the time as a player. So. And he'll fancy that as well. It's an opportunity for yeah. him to get noticed again in his home country. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, we've, we've signed a player from, from League One who seems yeah. to be, from, from the chat at the time seemed to be one of the better centre-backs in the league. Um, you wonder if that's a player that, that Ren would even be able to attract. So it's a really interesting one. I think we we do ourselves down a lot of the time. And it's do, very yeah. easy to look at opposition leagues and go, they play in League One and this Kavaninga guy, he does seem pretty good. But as you say, I think rightly, we've got some really good players. And Ryan Christie's another terrific, terrific young talent. Christopher Ayers wanted reportedly during the summer by the likes of AC Milan and a few other teams. So we've got quality players. And I think if you could see a, a similar game plan to the one at Ibrox, then... I feel I feel pretty confident about it. I think if we defend resolutely and we've got a good, you know, defence there and with a keeper like Fraser Forster in it, I feel really positive about that. And then the fact I think we've just got so much quality that we can score in any venue. Um Edward already showed last year what he can do away from home. He's getting better and better by every game you see him, Edward. He's just turning into a completely different player. Uh, to to what he was even, you know, six months ago. It's remarkable to see in front of your own eyes. So I, I do feel pretty good about these games and I wouldn't, you know, the question we've got here is, is whether we'll qualify or not. I certainly wouldn't discount us. If you're asking no. me for my prediction straight away, I think we will. I think we'll finish second behind Lazio. Yeah, I think we'll finish second too. I think yeah, I think we've got a good chance here. The atmosphere in Rennes will be good as well. I went to Rennes in the last time we played them mm-hmm. and I remember their home fans being really friendly first and foremost. A lovely city, a lovely place to be around for the the, two, the couple of days that you go, and I remember that the atmosphere inside the stadium was very loud and noisy, but also very friendly as well. And they had all these, they did all the flag waving before the match, and they've got an ultra section of their own behind the goal. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a good night over there, um, for the fans travelling and just to watch on on TV as well. So I'm looking forward to both matches again. I'm looking forward to every match in this group. I think it's going to be a good a good group to test ourselves against and like I say, like we've both said, we can both hold our own here and we should have no fear or respect our opponents and realising it's not going to be easy we should have no fear heading here Agreed, um, I think I'm looking at Cluj for an away day in December with a few of my pals, so that should be interesting enough, it's just trying to find out all the flights and it's going via you know, different <laughs> random European cities because obviously there's not a, a direct Glasgow to Cluj and a Polka flight, so more to follow on that. Hopefully we'll see how the group goes. Um, <laughs> right, we'll move on to our final topic for the evening. Uh, podcast has yeah. flown in so far, but we've still got a wee bit to go. We're going to chat about the transfer window. Uh, it closed, what, earlier this week? Seems longer than that. I think it was yeah, Monday night it finished. Um, yeah. Celtic ended the window with the, the signing of Greg Taylor. He was the 10th the player you know, the, the club certainly included as, as one of the signings. Um, a number of them were, were younger players that I think we'll touch on a wee bit later on. 
where do you want to start? The question we've got in front of us is, are we stronger than uh-huh. how we finished last season? I think you've already alluded to the fact that we probably are. Yeah. I mean, I think this complication, this question, I know we always do this in a podcast where we take a simple question and we make it 10 times more complicated than it needs to be. But I think in this case, it's, it's true again, because I think that when you're judging transfer windows, the, 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 that is the defining question is are we stronger coming out of it than when we went into it? But I think in this specific case, in this summer, I think with the arrival of Neil Lennon and the departure of Brendan Rodgers, I think there has to be an acknowledgement that the Brendan Rodgers team had come to the end of its cycle. And I think that there there has to be an acknowledgement that the players that come in can't be expected to hit the ground running from where players who have left left the club at the end of last season and in the summer, you know, went... You know, left Celtic, the state Celtic are in. Mm-hmm. For example, Greg Taylor is a perfect example of that. Kieran Tierney left for £25 million. We can't expect Greg Taylor to immediately have the quality that Kieran Tierney brought to the team. But I think that the task Neil Lennon has ahead of him now is that he needs to build his team and develop it to reach those kind of levels again. And the business that we've done this summer, I feel like, has allowed us, has put us in a position to allow us to do that. I think the players we've brought to the club all look pretty good. I'm not unhappy with any of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're asking me if, I, if we're stronger this season compared to last season, I don't think we are. But I don't think that matters too much because I think Neil Lennon has the building blocks in place to build a successful Celtic side. And I think that the players we've managed to retain, apart from Tierney, obviously, is positive too. The fact that we haven't sold all our best players with not sold Cham, we've not sold McGregor, we've not sold Ayer, we've not sold Edouard. You know, those players are going to be defining for us over the next season, I expect. And so the, the, my answer to the question is no, but I'm happy regardless. That's how I feel about it. If we split this into a couple of areas, I've got left-back, right-back and centre-back because as is the case with Celtic over, over the past few years, it seems to be the defence where, where all the big issues lie in terms of recruitment and, and players leaving. Left back, we've lost since the end of last season. Obviously, Tierney, as you mentioned, and Izagiri has gone as well. We've brought in Bolingoli and Greg Taylor. Um, we are weaker without Tierney, but I don't think you can, you know, have too much of a go at the club for that. The money on offer, twenty five million, was too good to turn down. Bolingoli's come in. He's got off to a slow start, but he seems to be coming on to a game and. Over the last, you know, the, the two legs against AIK and the even the Hearts win and, and the victory at Ibrooks, he did look pretty impressive. And I think if he was almost starting from that point and, you know, he'd, he'd wiped the, the, the slate clean, you would be looking at a, a pretty good signing from the looks of things. So I think things are promising there. Greg Taylor, we haven't seen in a Celtic shirt yet. I've seen him a lot in a Kilmarnock shirt last mm-hmm. year. Um, I really like the look of him. I think in many ways I've described him before as a, a tierney light in many ways. He offers the same level of performance in terms of defensive first and foremost. He's solid. He'll give you absolutely everything. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he'll give you everything on the pitch. He can also get forward and score goals and set up goals. So I think he's reliable. He's perhaps more reliable than balling goalie. Uh, I think you would trust Taylor more in a, a tough European away game or a game at Ibrooks. Yeah. However, saying that bowling goalie was great on Sunday. <laughs> but I think I think the important thing is you've got two really good options there. And let's be honest, at the end of last season, the whole of last season, we only really had one mm-hmm. because Azagiri was, you know, past it and really struggling. Yeah, it was garbage, yeah. Now we've got two proper left backs who I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to seeing 
A, who's the best. Yeah. And, you know, who, who Neil Lennon look, likes to look of. And I'm also just really looking forward to seeing the fight between the two and, and the fact that we don't need to rely on one of them to play a every literal week. fight. <laughs> yeah, I want to see a literal fight. I want to. Uh... It's like two men enter, one man, one man leaves. There's like a Thunderdome uh, situation here. You're right, though. Like that competition is amazing, though. Like having two players desperate to prove themselves a left back, I think, is really good. I think the same could be said at right back. You know, I know you're going to go to the other positions, but I think the the big thing you've just touched on there, the big thing to take away for the transfer window for me is that we just have a lot of competition in every area. And where did that come from? Nowhere, because it seemed as if we were yeah. really struggling at one stage. We had about one <laughs> left back in our book. We had Anthony Rousham as our only right back for about eight months. <laughs> and suddenly now we've got three pretty good right backs. We've... If we go over the players we've lost at right back, we've lost Lustig, Gamboa, um, Ralston's gone out and loaned to St Johnson mm-hmm. and Tolyan obviously as well went back to Dortmund. And have come El Hamid, Bauer and Frimpong if you want to mention him as well. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of El Hamid so far? I think he's certainly an upgrade on Lustig from, from what I've seen yeah. so far. Um, he's quite a... He's a bizarre one because... I'm trying to think. I've been impressed with him from the the very first game he played against St. Johnson. He looks mm. like he's for me. He looks like he's going to be a poor player, and then every time <laughs> I, I see him play, I, I don't know if it's just his posture or the fact he's so upright or the fact he doesn't look particularly. I strong. think it's because he's a dude hand signing. That's probably it. Um, the, the fact he doesn't look particularly strong or quick, and it actually turns out that he's both. Uh, he gives us all. He he really does. I know I say that, and, f- and people listen will be thinking that's the minimum you should you should look for. But when you look at some of the right backs we've had in the past, that hasn't always been the case. He looks like definitely looks like a much fitter um, Mika Lustig. Strong, I think he, he I think he shares a lot of the similar traits to Lustig. He's got a similar build. He he probably plays in a similar way. Um, but I just think he's a he's a Lustig that's a few years younger and a, and a lot fitter, so definitely an upgrade. Not seen enough of Bauer yet. Um, only saw him for half an hour at Ibrox. I, to be honest, I can't even remember him doing a, a hell of a lot uh, <laughs> apart from his throw-ins. His throw-ins certainly stuck out. They, they <laughs> his could, throw-ins are crazy. He could be a real weapon this season. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're looking and you're you're chasing a goal late on and you get a throw-in, God, you think you just like arrive in Stoke and that's just instilled yeah. into you, and that's that you leave Stoke that you can always <laughs> throw the ball uh, far when you've done that. But that's that it. is his, his throw-in is remarkable, and I think that just again, I think he looks like a, a really fit and committed performer who. Is going to be strong in the tackle and you know just hard. I think the both both of them look pretty hard to me, and I think that's 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 a good trait to see. And I think that's something perhaps Lennon will have picked out as something that looks good in the pair of them as well. Mm. Lennon doesn't like you know half committed players, does he? He likes his players full blooded, you know, ready for every tackle, ready for every challenge. And I think you need to have that mentality when you're at Celtic. And I think that's that's the good thing about El Hamid for me so far. So centre back, we we lost. Boyata and Benkovic, who who went back to Leicester City, Julian has came in. He's pretty much well. He is the only centre back that we brought in. So you could argue we're one down in numbers there. Are we perhaps a little bit light at centre back when you've got effectively, mm. a, effectively as centre backs, you've got Julian, mm-hmm. Ayer, and Simunovic. Now you could argue that the two Israeli internationals, Beaton and El Hamid, could both play mm-hmm. at centre back. It's probably not yeah. their their first positions, but you could perhaps argue that then we've got five. Yeah, I mean that. I think that is the thinking. I think when I was looking at the squad in the in the final week of the window, you know, we still had a lot of business to do, and I was thinking, you know, the priorities were a right back, 
a left back and a left winger for me personally. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking if I'm getting greedy, you know, what I'm wanting is another centre back and another defensive midfielder. But the thing about the centre back area is you're right, there is a lot of cover there. And I think the fact that we failed to move Jack Hendry on has played a part too. You can't just stockpile loads of defenders. Yeah. Um and and I know Hendry's not going to play, but the fact that his presence is even there in the squad means that in the eventuality and the real disaster happens, then we still have some sort of cover for the domestic yeah. matches at least. And I think that's Lennon's thinking. There's no need to go right out and buy a, a first-choice centre-back at the moment. I think Lennon wants to put as much development time into Ayer as possible. I think he's picked out Ayer as a player perhaps who has the most potential in the team. I don't think Ayer, apart from when he's injured, I don't think Ayer's missed a match since Lennon claimed to the club. And I think that speaks volumes about what Lennon thinks of him. And so I think having him and Julian as our real prime first-choice picks there is really good. I think the former Beaton's been really good. I took Pellers for that on the podcast, by the way. Um, I think it was back in January mm. where I said, or back at the start of summer or the end of the last season, you or Paul gave me Pellers for saying your Beaton could um, play competently in defence. <laughs> and he, ha- he has been playing competently in defence. And so I'd like to point that out. I think he's been really, really good. Is he um, now? Is he now more of a centre back than a centre mid? Well, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, assuming that he's cover for Brown too, because we don't really have direct but cover for Brown. But yeah, I would class him as a. Right now, he would be classed as a defender. You look at, I mean, Christopher Ayer, who's probably our, our top centre back at the club, was a, a central midfielder three years ago. Now yeah. I know Beaton's probably five or six years older, but it has been done for for players to to move back a little bit. So I just wonder if that's part of the planning as well because. He's certainly for for the majority of league games he's a great option beat on because he's good with the ball at his feet, he can pick passes. Mm-hmm. But even at Ibrooks he he really did deal with everything really well. He read yeah. the game well. he's always read yeah. the game quite well though, hasn't he? So I suppose that fits quite nicely into a defensive sense. But he, he, even the, the physical aspect, he's pretty tall, he, he can do everything. So that's an interesting one to watch. Finally, uh, two boys we brought in, both on loan, both from Southampton, Fraser Forster and Mohamed El Yunusi. Uh, for mm. me, I know Forster's been at the club before, but for me, two signings that... I suppose El Yunusi more more so, but certainly a signing with El Yunusi that we wouldn't have been able to, to do permanently. And there's a lot of chat about loans and the fact we had so many that failed last year and have failed over the last couple of seasons. But I think when loans are executed this way and it's signing a player who mm, went for 16 right. million last year and he looks like a, a really good player who's done it in the Champions League with, with Baal and the Europa League with Baal and uh, Mulder. Prior, um, he certainly has all the ability. A Norway international, I think it's mm-hmm. the kind of signing that you you like to see Celtic make on loan. And I think, I, th- I know personally you feel the same way, but I almost yeah, feel definitely. as if this has gone under the radar a wee bit. But I, I seriously think this guy could be an absolute sensation for us this season. So much so that you know I would look at his loan signing right up there with any of the loan signings we've made in in the last you know seven or eight seasons. Well, it looks certainly it looks like that, and I think you're right there. I think when you're thinking about loan signings, you know, you kind of split them into two camps. You know, you've got the the prospects or the or the projects, as perhaps some of the club might look at them as, and mm. then you look at doing a loan signing for an experienced professional who has excellent experience in continental football and has won league titles in the past. And El Yunusi ticks all those boxes. He has the perfect profile for a club like Celtic. Yeah, he does. He's ideal. He, he, he used to play. He used to, I mean, if you look at his stats, where he played at Basel, 
you know, he's phenomenal. He's kind of almost a Sinclair-type player for them. And it didn't work out for him at Southampton. God knows why. The English Premier League seems like a madhouse. You know, seems to be luck whether you make it there or not. It seems to be luck whether you make it into a manager's plans or not because the there's the, the managers revolve around that league like yeah. nothing else. And I think that, so you know, Southampton don't exactly play in a free-flowing attacking game. They're not exactly a team that, you know, is expected to dominate possession in the majority of their matches, which is where uh, we used to played at clubs like that previously. And so I think him coming to Celtic is a real bonus for us. Signed for £16 million last summer. There's no way we're going to sign him permanently. So I've done the business to get him in on loan, and then whatever happens, happens. But I think he's going to be a real asset to us this season. And you're right, I think he's kind of been slept on a little bit because I think the new signings perform so well at Ibrox. Everyone's been talking about them. But I think El Yunusi's primed to come into this team and light a fire in, in our game. And there's also a, a lot of folk won't know a great deal about him because as much as he, he's done really well in his career, it has been you know away from, from Britain in the main. He, he's playing in countries yeah. like Norway and Switzerland aren't really reported over here. It's not been you know a top five league he's done it in. Um, so a lot of folk won't know a great deal about him, but the minute you dig into him, and it's as simple as, you know, Googling his name and looking at his stats and his stats are terrific and for a club like Baal who play, you know, I'd look at Baal pretty much as a replica of Celtic in many ways, you know I know they haven't yeah. won the league the last couple of years but they are predominantly the leading club in their country, their country Switzerland is probably in a pretty similar level to, to Scotland and they look to make inroads in Europe, they've probably actually done better than us in recent years and when they were doing really well, I remember a few years ago when you know they were certainly competing in the, the Champions League group stage, making it to the last 16, he was there when that was happening and he was one of mm-hmm. their standouts. I just think it's a, a terrific bit of business and in a country like Scotland, he will lap it up and he will score for fun over here and he'll play well. And also in Europe, he, he's got real pedigree of, of being able to do that. So buzzing about that one. Um, Fraser Forster as well for me. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I still want to see more of him. Um, he didn't really have a great deal to do uh, in the game at Ibrox. No. Um, he saved a penalty in the Hearts game, but again, didn't have a great deal to do in that game. So I think the jury's still out in that one. But if it's the Fraser Forster who we had first time around, or even if it's 80 90% mm. of that player, we'll, we'll have a, a far superior goalkeeper to either of the other two senior keepers at the club. And again, you've got to look at that as improvement. Yeah, I mean, I'm holding my water a bit on the Forster thing. Mm-hmm. Um just sceptical that he, I don't know what happened at Southampton but something went badly wrong there he dropped off the face of the earth there like weeks after signing a new long term contract so mm. I don't know what's going on there I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical about the signing in general a lot of people are excited about it and that's fair enough I do think Forster was a fantastic keeper for us the first time around but I'm holding my water on it and seeing how it plays out because um, there's risks here I think with the Forster thing but Neil Lennon seems to trust him. He's not done anything daft in his first few games, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I, I suppose it's right. a it's a risk in terms of Forster, but I suppose the positive would be that if you know it was to uh, horror thing was to happen, he was to pick up another injury, or he was just to be pretty shit and make loads of mistakes. We do have mm-hmm. two decent enough goalkeepers to fall back on. It's not as if we'd be you know left with True. with awful options. So I feel pretty secure in that area. I think Craig Gordon, the games he played, uh, albeit I think it was only two or three, looked competent enough. And if it's him or Scott Bain, and Scott Bain went through a bit of a 
tough time, but perhaps he was injured. Um, or certainly carrying a knock for for a couple of those matches. That would maybe explain some of his performances. I'm not overly worried about that. Yeah. I think if it's if it's, it's the right Forster and it's a Forster who we know he can be, he'd be my number one. But if it's not, then it's not a position that particularly worries me. Says a lot though, doesn't it? Like Lennon just being so quick to go out and sign a first choice keeper. Something like obviously the the coaches or the manager isn't rating Gordon that highly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 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 I'm not I wouldn't say it's strange because I think Gordon has fallen off over the last couple of years, but I think it's curious that he was so quick to do that. It immediately bombed him out the team basically when he was going to get his first opportunity. And I think that um, the goalkeeping position is just a little bit strange. So I'm just waiting to see how it all pans out. Hmm. But no, I think you're right when you, you look at the team and almost every position, suddenly with, with some of the players that, that have come through in previous weeks, not even players who've signed, but just players that have come back from injuries or have started to make a name for themselves. It, we just look really strong in every area. Even up, up front now, you look at um, Griffiths, which has still got a good bit to go, but... We're nowhere near as reliant this season as we were on Edward last what, year. What about Bio? Yeah, well? exactly. I mean, and he's, he, he was like a Skeletrix card in that match that he played. He just still, still doesn't hands. have a goal to his name, but he certainly <laughs> has loads of confidence. And even though he hasn't scored for Celtic yet, technically, he, um, yeah, the fans certainly think he has because of the effort he put in in that game and his movement. And he'll certainly feel like he scored. He won't feel as if he's he's still got to break his duck. So I'm really positive about him as well. I just I just think there's loads of options here, and we're nowhere as you know nowhere near as reliant as we were in certain players last season. Um, even right wing, that's perhaps the only area of the team we're reliant on a player with James Forrest. But you would really hope yeah. that Schved could get up to. To speed over the next couple of months because he looks a great talent as well. I just think there's there's just so much talent in this team if, if they can just what? get it right. Players like Cham that have come out of nowhere. Got a, a question for you that's just came into my mind here. It's not really, I don't think this is as big a talking point as people have made it out to be, but I just wanted your thoughts on what do you think is going on with Scott Sinclair? Yeah, it's, it's a strange one because. Yeah, he, uh, I'd love to know how much, how often he played during Lennon's interim spell. Uh, mm-hmm. I know he, he certainly fancied the likes of Johnny Hayes and, and later on Mickey Johnson ahead of Sinclair. And when you look at the way he's bombed Johnny Hayes out the team as well, which has kind of gone under the until, radar this season. Until Sunday, yeah. Um, it, it does, it, it shows you how kind of far down the pecking order Sinclair is and the fact that Mikey Johnson uh, is ahead of him and the fact that he's brought in another left winger in El Yunusi to, to the extent where... Is Sinclair a fifth choice left winger now? Yeah. Behind Hayes and El Yanusi and Johnson. It seems like Morgan. that. The, the thing about it for it, me is that he's not even making, you know, match squads. He's just been completely bombed out of the team completely. Yeah. It seems like something's going on there. I think, you know. Is he, is he trying to make a statement, do you think? Is he making a statement no, I, that this I is think, his team down? It's not Rogers' team. I think something's happened. No, I don't think it's that. I think something's happened with Sinclair maybe hoping to get a move away from Celtic or Celtic hoping to move him on and something's happened at the last minute and it's fallen through. I think that story's yet to be revealed so I think we'll wait and see what happens. Sinclair was on Instagram earlier on, on earlier today, we are recording this on Sunday you know, posting like him working hard at Lennox Town, an empty Lennox Town um, mm-hmm. from Saturday which was an also an odd choice. I don't know, it seemed like, I don't know if you follow the NFL Hamish but there's a player called Antonio Brown that makes yeah. um, Olivier and Cham look like Paul McStay. 
and like <laughs> is basically taken to Instagram to kind of build his brand. I don't know if the Scott Sinclair thing was perhaps a bit like that or something. It was weird. Like right. he's kind of working out the gym. He made a point to pan the camera around to let everyone know that the gym was empty and stuff. So I don't know if that's just him signaling that he's working hard to try and get back into Lennon's plans. Or if that's him saying like he's doing all he can to get into Lennon's plans and Lennon's not picking him. I think there's something odd there between Lennon and Sinclair or Sinclair and the club. Like we know Lustig left the club under a bit of a dark cloud and I wouldn't be surprised if there's something else going on behind the scenes with Sinclair but it's a story yet to be told so I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll maybe hear that in the next three years. I'm sure. But you know what it's like? These things are dredged up when the team's not winning and they're used as a, a stick to, yeah. to batter Lennon with. When the team's winning and they're going to Ibrox and they're beating AIK, these things become, you know, more of a side issue and, and that's what we'll be hoping for, certainly. If Celtic win the, the treble this year and put in a good showing in Europe, then, you know, the, the Sinclair stuff will barely even be thought about. Um, that may be good or bad. You may think he deserves more than that for what he's given us over the past three years. You don't. But, <laughs> um... I probably do slightly. I probably even for okay. me, I probably think it, it's slightly unfair. Um but if you're asking me are Mikey Johnson and, and El Yunusi, even though I've not seen him yet, are they better options than, than no, Sinclair? But I think, yes, I think, me, I think he's a better option than Morgan who's been getting minutes ahead of him. Yeah, probably. It's just, but I mean, it's just uh, very what, what's happening with Lewis Morgan now, he's another one because he's now gonna be third or, or fourth in the line and he's had his chance and he's not made it. So it's his Celtic future untenable now. It's just there's lots <laughs> and lots of that, but but when you compare it to where we were at the start of the summer and we had all these names, I mean players like Malumbu and Comper were still at the club, but when you look at that, probably one of the, the most um or the biggest things we'll take from this summer and it's maybe not been spoken about too much with with uh, in comparison to like Tierney and Turnbull and things like that, but the the, the amount of dead wood Turnbull, Turnbull probably... scenario, Jesus, oh, God, yeah, I still think we'll move for him in yeah at the end of the season. So I've got a question, um, Hamish, just to wrap off the to round off this yes. transfer window. You know we like a rating, Hamish, don't you? And I'm wondering <laughs> if you could give me a rating out of ten for our transfer window in your personal opinion. Um, I think it's a seven. Seven. Yeah, that's why I was going to do. In terms of the business we've done, I'm pretty pleased. Uh, I think we've got a lot of talent, and I think the important thing is we've got players there who look like they're going to improve and get better with time. You know, Ball and Goalie, Taylor, um, El Hamed are all going to improve. I think we've seen quality in El Yunusi, and I think we've improved our goalkeeping department in Forster personally. So it's a seven for me that the black mark against it and the fact it's not an eight or nine or even a ten is... Uh, because he didn't do it early enough and because we, we crashed out of Europe probably as a result and I thought he's been too negative with a 7 but I feel like we do have high standards at the Grand Old Podcast and the <laughs> club do need to try their best to get an 8 or 9 or a 10 off of us and I think we shouldn't overlook really we won't go into it but you know we sold Keen Tierney and that's a little bit um, of a it was inevitable and I'm not blaming the club for it but obviously reduces the quality in the squad but as we yeah. touched on on the last podcast which was weeks ago now there was a feeling that you know Tierney has injury prob- had injury problems he wasn't really a key player for us last season and so to get £25 million pounds in the bank for that and move on from that scenario he wanted to test himself in another league fair play to him and yeah um, the way even the way that transfer turned out was pretty much a benefit to Celtic in terms of financials so Allowed, perhaps allowed us to do the business we did later in the window than than you know than we might have been able to. 
Right, I think that is the transfer window discussion closed off and I think it's podcast number 71 closed so. off as well. We've covered quite a lot there. As we say, really do appreciate you for taking the time if you've made it this far to, to listen to the, the hour and 10 minutes or so that we've recorded so far. Um, we won't make any daft promises about the future but we're certainly hoping to you know, get back into the, the steady flow of doing podcasts. So. We'll see... What the future holds for us, as we say, I think Paul's still got a few more weeks of his bowling to do, so we'll see what happens on that front. Um, we've spoken about a few other options. Paul's well. uh, there, could... Scott Sinclair. Pretty much, he's been bombed out. He's fallen out. Oh, we shouldn't say that, because folk will actually think there's, there's some underlying issue there. And, you know, Paul's had a set to with one of us. That isn't the case, we can assure he you of that. He gets 30 grand a week to terms. do this podcast, and he doesn't even turn up, so... Aye. That's it. The Adros and Assassin, we're still in speaking terms with him. And um, hopefully he'll appear on a, a grand old podcast in the not too distant future. Personally, though, um, just want to thank you, as I say, for, for sticking with us. And hopefully we'll have something else for you soon. Anything else, John? No, I think that's everything. Um, I'm happy to have the podcast back. And I'm happy that Celtic are doing well on the pitch. And I'm happy, I think, next on the next podcast, I think what I'd like to do is touch a little bit more on the structural side of things we can maybe look into that a bit more and discuss the role of Nick Hammond at the club over the last few months mm. um, we won't go into it here because it's just too long and we want to wrap this up but I think that would be a bit of an interesting discussion, Neil Lennon's actually, I don't know if you've seen Neil Lennon, Lennon's comments on him but he seemed to suggest that he was here to stay so we'll perhaps look into yeah, that a Yeah, he bit. said that if, if he wants to stay yeah. he'll be here, Yeah. so so by the time we do the next podcast there might be an update on that but I think that might be something to touch on next time I think with the podcast going forward I think we just to let people know I think to, while it's me and Hamish doing it and Paul's not here I think we're just going to have this kind of more open format where we just bring different stuff to the table it also protects the podcast from being if I have to post it later in the week we used to post on a Monday morning which might not always be possible mm. but we're going to have more of just like a general discussion about things rather than reacting to every match and so forth obviously we'll try and do that when possible, but it'll be a more open discussion like this one, I think, won't it, Hamish? Yes, because uh, no matter the day you have listened to this, hopefully um, it will have made some sort of sense to you. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> right, I think that's us for uh, podcast number 71. As I say, hopefully we'll return with 72 in the not-too-distant future from me, myself, Hamish, and uh, my good friend John. We'll say thank you, goodbye, and hail, hail. Stop.